patients and families are Stoughton Hospital's number one priority. To provide trusted health information to our patients and community, we present Stoughton Hospital Health Talk with Melanie Cole. Pelvic organ prolapse is an extremely common female health condition. However, many women are embarrassed to talk to their doctor about their symptoms or they think that their symptoms are normal. But pelvic organ prolapse is treatable. My guest is Dr. Rebecca Faber. She's an obstetrician-gynecologist at SSM Health Dean Medical Group and a practicing physician at Stoughton Hospital. Dr. Faber, what is pelvic prolapse and what organs can be affected? So pelvic prolapse is something that affects many women, um, but as you mentioned, oftentimes women are embarrassed to talk about it uh, with their provider. Um, It's essentially a relaxation of some of the pelvic organs, so either the bladder relaxing into the vagina, the uterus and cervix kind of bulging out of the vagina, or the rectum even bulging into the vagina, causing various symptoms that can be very bothersome for women. What are some of these symptoms that a woman might notice? So some women might notice that they feel pressure in their pelvis, kind of that heavy feeling that they get when they were having their period, but now just it feels all the time. Um, They can notice a little bit more bulging into the vagina, so they actually have to push something back into the vagina, which can be very embarrassing and certainly very uh, uh, effective of their quality of life. Um, And then also sometimes they can have various bowel and bladder function issues. So some women have the inability to be able to urinate if those organs are kind of bulging out the way they shouldn't be uh, or even have a hard time having a bowel movement and have to actually, you know, do something called splinting and put fingers in the vagina to have a bowel movement. So as you can imagine, that's pretty, pretty uncomfortable for a lot of women. Certainly is. Is this something, Dr. Faber, that just naturally occurs with age or specifically women that have had babies? I mean, are there certain risk factors? Right, there certainly are, and some of it is a little bit of a hodgepodge, but in general, women that have been pregnant before and delivered children are at, at higher risk of pelvic prolapse. Um, and then the big, the big cause is, is really it transitions usually with aging or around menopause. So around menopause, some of that vaginal tissue just lacks estrogen, and so it's not as tight and supportive, and things start to change. And that's oftentimes when women start to notice more of the, the bulging of those organs and, and certainly things like that. There's also a couple of other risk factors. Um, If you've been somebody who does a lot of heavy lifting for your whole life, that can put you at higher risk of having pelvic organ prolapse. Or somebody that has been coughing, like chronic coughing, so a patient with COPD. Um, And then some of it is just genetics. So it's a little bit of everything that can certainly play into the cause of it. Sounds a little bit like some of the similar causes to a hernia. Uh, Does What is weight? Does that play a factor in this? Certainly, it sure can, and as our population tends to increase in weight um, with obesity, we see a lot more women having pelvic organ prolapse. So, so it's kind of like a herniation of the vagina. You're exactly right with that. So it's essentially the bladder, the rectum, or the uterus are kind of herniating out of their, their previous location. So if there's increased weight pushing on that, that can certainly put people at higher risk of, of prolapse. So then how is it diagnosed if a woman says, you know what, enough of this, I'm feeling this all the time, and I just, I need to talk to somebody, how does it get diagnosed, and then what is the first line of of defense once you determine what's going on? 
Right. So really the first thing is to just mention it. So women have to be able to say, you know, hey, something is happening down there and I'm not, I'm, this is not normal. Please, can we talk about it? Um, so, so they can certainly mention it to their primary care provider or make an appointment with an obstetrics gynecology provider. And then we start with an exam. So we ask about some of the symptoms they're having just to make sure we kind of tailor their story and then do an exam to see what extent of prolapse they may or may not have. Um, and then once we kind of know what we have as a diagnosis or how extensive the prolapse is, then we can kind of better recommend um, either a non-surgical or surgical treatment options for that patient. So what are some non-surgical treatment options? So if in women that have kind of a mild prolapse um, or uh, are just wanting to start with non-surgical things, uh, pelvic physical therapy is actually a very powerful tool. So it's like the the ultimate Kegel. So a lot of women think that doing Kegels is just going to make it all go away. And sometimes that helps, but you have to kind of learn how to do the right Kegel. So using our pelvic physical therapist to really guide you for a couple of visits and then doing some work on your home can be very beneficial. And then there's something called a pessary. So pessaries are these little pieces of silicone, and they come in many different shapes and sizes. And they sound kind of crazy, but really what you do is they, they, we place them in the vagina, and it's something that patients can use on their own. So it gives them a little bit of freedom to not have to be coming into the office all the time. And they place it in the vagina, and it kind of lifts everything back up and holds it where it belongs so that women don't have those same symptoms of bulging or urinary problems. And they work beautifully for, for certain people. Well, sure. And as you said, pelvic physical therapy, it's a pretty new field, but it definitely is making a difference for women, as are these pessaries, if this doesn't seem to work for someone. Then they have to consider surgical treatments if it's really affecting their quality of life. Then what do you tell them? What questions should they be asking about surgical procedures? Right. So that's a great time to, to kind of really establish a good relationship or rapport with your OBGYN doctor um, because we often do those surgeries and that's something that I certainly do. Um, so we talk about, you know, are you the right candidate for surgery and, you know, pa patients that have really significant prolapse that pelvic physical therapy just isn't going to get to or people that have are, are, are younger and have are still sexually active. Um, sometimes the surgery approach is a nice option because it's something that can essentially fix the problem without having to maintain on a daily basis with a pessary. So that's something that's kind of an individualized decision um, that I, and a discussion that I would have with a patient. And what would you like patients to ask about what life is like afterwards? And, you know, people have heard of various slings and things and meshes, and, and they're not really sure because you hear about some of this stuff in the media, Dr. Faber, and that's where the women go, ooh, uh, you know, I'm a little scared of that. What do you tell them? What do you want them asking? Right. So that's a great point. So I think it's it's sometimes made it a little bit tricky that women don't even want to talk about it because they're just nervous about some of those scary things or things they hear in the media. So most of the pelvic uh, prolapse repair surgeries we do do not involve mesh. So it's kind of a non-issue, especially when we do the first repair and we hope that to be the only repair. Uh, most often that surgery involves a hysterectomy. So removing the uterus and the cervix through the vagina so they don't have any incisions anywhere else. Um, and then kind of doing a resuspension of the top of the vagina so that everything goes back where it belongs. And we use patient's own tissue um, to be able to do that so that we don't have to use mesh. So there's really not, 
not any risk of that mesh concern um, that, that is talked about. That's really not something that's being used anymore, or very rarely, I should say. Um, and then to answer your question about the, the sling, slings are something that are, are, are a piece of mesh, but they're a very small piece of mesh, and they've been really well studied. So in the right patient, it can be certainly a good and safe choice. It's just a conversation to have with your OBGYN provider to figure out if that's the right case for you. But again, most of the surgeries don't involve any of those things that we see um, on uh, television or in media that, that are scary sounding. I'm so glad you cleared that up for us, Dr. Faber. And, and, and should women be taking into account, obviously, when you mention things like hysterectomy, their childbearing plans? Is this something you definitely wait till you're done having children? And then after the fact and after these surgeries, does that make you less susceptible to incontinence and things that women then come up with as a result of pelvic floor disorders to begin with? Right. So certainly, um, depending on if you're done with childbearing or not, that certainly kind of tailors which treatment option we would choose. So when I have somebody who comes into my office who maybe still has prolapse after a couple of deliveries but is, is still planning to have more babies, then we go the route of pelvic physical therapy for sure and maybe think about a pestery and do some things to kind of just get her quality of life better before until she's, she's done with childbearing. And then we start to talk more about surgical options. Whereas somebody who comes in and it says to me, I'm done having children, and I w- I'm ready for, for surgery, I'm ready to just fix this problem, they would be a better candidate for surgery. Um, and then, you know, in, there's certainly a lot of information out there about urinary incontinence, and that is a kind of a complicated topic. And there's lots of different types of incontinence. So some women have incontinence when they cough, sneeze, move around. That's called stress incontinence, and that's the most common form. And that's something that, that certainly is more common after you've had babies, Um, And usually women that have significant prolapse actually don't have stress incontinence because everything's kind of shifted and changed angles. However, after we put everything back where it belongs, sometimes that stress incontinence can kind of rear its ugly head. And so that's certainly a conversation I have with every patient before I proceed with surgery to talk about options to prevent that and what their risk factors are for that. Um, but some types of incontinence, like urge incontinence, where you feel like you got to go, got to go, don't make it to the bathroom on time, some of those sorts of things can actually improve after a surgical procedure or even reduction of the of the prolapse with a pestery. So that's that's where really tailoring your care with a OBGYN provider really can get you the best results. Can we prevent pelvic organ prolapse. I mean, but we you hear about Kegel exercises and women try and learn how to do it, even though it's kind of a difficult feeling to get it, to get a handle on. And we try and do these things. Does that help at all? Are there any other lifestyle factors that you would like to recommend that we should do? Yeah, good question. So the, you know, it, some of it is, is out of our hands because there's a genetic piece to it and that's just, you can't change your genes. Uh, however, um, certainly, you know, keeping a strong, healthy pelvic floor, keeping your core strong, staying active that way can help prevent. And then I'd say really the kind of big two are, you know, keeping a, a healthy weight, um, you know, in terms of preventing obesity and then also really just, just healthy things. So women that, that smoke or women that have diabetes or things that are uncontrolled are at much higher risk of having kind of worsening issues if they have prolapse. So just staying healthy and active is probably the best prevention method. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Faber, for sharing your expertise on this such important topic for women to hear because it is embarrassing, as we said. It can be, but it shouldn't be. And as women, we have to be our own best health advocates and really reach out to our doctors if we're experiencing any of the symptoms that Dr. Faber has discussed with us today. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're listening to Stoughton Hospital Health Talk. And for more information, you can go to stoughtonhospital.com. That's stoughtonhospital.com. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for tuning in.